0: Uh, well, thanks very much for the invitation. It's great, it's great to actually finally come north and see Larbert. Uh, once a year, I, I come up to Aberdeen uh, for presbytery, but, but that's about it in terms of my Scottish uh, knowledge, I'm afraid. So it's nice to, to land in another corner of the country. Uh, I, as I hope you've picked up from the advertisements, we're going to be looking at Leviticus uh, over the next couple of days. Uh, it, throughout history, as far as I can work out, as soon as any preacher says we're going to be studying the book of Leviticus, that there's a little bit of a sigh in the congregation. And actually, right back to the the sort of second, third century, there are records of ministers. There's one guy I read uh, just this morning, a guy called Origen. He he was born about 180. Uh, And he says when when he turned to preach Leviticus, uh, that the congregation looked at him as if he'd served them some sort of bizarre food. Um, So so right from the earliest days, it seems, that, that Leviticus is one of those books that just slightly we shy away from. But we've been looking at it in Leeds, and I think it is a fascinating book. Uh, and all I want to do tonight, just for 10 minutes or so, is, is set the scene for what we're going to look at over the next few days. So I'm not going to be preaching properly or anything like that, but just 10 minutes to try and set the scene. Because Leviticus is a story. Okay, if, we, if, we, if we don't understand that Leviticus is a story, then it's going to seem a very strange book. But once we realize it's a story then all the slightly weird and wonderful ceremonies and sacrifices and rules and laws just begin to fall into place. The first clue that's a story is actually the first words of the book. Uh, I've got an ESV up here on the the music stand, and and my version says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him. If we could read Hebrew, and I can't, I confess, uh, but if we could, the book would actually begin, And he called. And he called. And that's actually what the Jews call the book of Leviticus. They don't call it Leviticus. They call it, at least in Hebrew, and he called. Now, you you don't start a story and, do you? Children, you'll know that. The first page of Harry Potter does not begin and Harry was in the cupboard, or whatever. The word and suggests that that we need to know what's going on just beforehand. Uh, Leviticus only makes sense when we realize that it is just the next chapter on from the book of Exodus. Now, thankfully, I think you've been looking at Exodus, uh, this term, so I'm not going to try and paint the big picture. You know that it's about God's rescue of his people out of Egypt uh, to freedom from Pharaoh and slavery. But, but the, the last thing that happens in Exodus, the book of Exodus, is what I want to focus on tonight. And it really almost literally sets the scene for the story of Leviticus. The very last thing that happens in Exodus is God instructs Moses how to build the tabernacle, this great tent that he's going to live in. And the tabernacle is the scenery. I've got a stage behind me. It is the scenery in which the book of Leviticus is set. So so two things that the tabernacle is a picture of. It's not just a random tent. It's a picture of two things. And each of those pictures... Gives us a clue as to what Leviticus is going to be about. The first thing that the, the tabernacle is a picture of is actually the Garden of Eden. Now, hopefully we're gonna have a diagram here that might speed us up. There we go. Oh, a branded diagram as well, sorry about that. Um, the, the tabernacle was built as a, if you like, a, a tent with three rooms. But it was all set up in a special way. And the way the whole thing was set up, now we could read all this in Exodus 40, but we haven't got time tonight, the way it was all set up was to remind the Israelites about the garden in Eden. So, for example, it was always set up so the entrance, you can see right down at the bottom there, was always in the east. Why? Why was God so specific about the geography? Well, because the entrance to the Garden of Eden was on the east. Remember, Adam and Eve were driven out to the east. So when someone came into the tabernacle, it was as if they were approaching Back towards God and his garden. As they walk towards the sort of center of the tabernacle, and we'll see tomorrow that not anyone could just wander in, but for the sake of this evening, as you walk towards the, the sort of the middle bit, you'll see a, a holy place. And in it is a candlestick. And the candlestick, we're told, is shaped like a tree, reminiscent of the trees in the Garden of Eden. And on the entrances to the tabernacle proper, that's the central bit of the tent and the most holy place, the, really, the real heart of it, there were cherubim sewn in to the curtains, to, to the gateway, if you like, the curtains you had to go through to get in to God's presence. Why cherubim? Well, because cherubim guard the Garden of Eden. There's all sorts of other details we could look at, but again, we won't have time this evening to do so, but just, just to, to get in our heads that the, that the tabernacle was went, meant to represent a garden in the wilderness of Sinai. It was as if God had planted a little mini garden of Eden that would then travel around with the Israelites until eventually they get into the land and build the temple, which is a kind of full-time tabernacle, and itself is full of fruitful pictures, like the garden again. Uh, Why is this important? Well, Leviticus, in part, is going to be about how God's people can live with him again. The Bible story starts with God and man living together in the garden and and God can walk in the cool of the day. But, But by our stage of the story, after Genesis 3, essentially, we know that man is kicked out of paradise. God and man can't live together. And the tabernacle, if you like, is step one of God and man coming back together. How can we get back into God's presence? So one of the questions that Leviticus is going to answer is, how can we meet God? How do I meet God today? And therefore, it's going to teach us about Christ. The book of Leviticus is going to be about Christ. You'll never see the word Jesus in the book of Leviticus, but like all the Bible, frankly, it is about him. Uh, Even the tabernacle actually speaks about the gospel. Imagine that walk again. Okay, so we walk in from the bottom, the, the entrance. What's the first thing you see? Well, the first thing you see is the bronze altar. That's the one where all the sacrifices happen. That would remind the Israelites of the beginning of their rescue. How were the Israelites rescued from slavery? Well, through the sacrifice of the Passover. As they walked on, what's the next thing they'd see? They saw this bronze basin, a huge kind of sea of water. What's the next thing that happened in the Israelites' rescue after God had taken them you know, through the plagues, away from the Egypt, through the sacrifice of the, the lamb? Well, they went through the Red Sea, past the water. Now, what happens next if you walk onwards? Well, ultimately, you come towards God's dwelling place. What were the Israelites going to, go to do after leaving Sinai? They were going to go into the land of Israel and dwell with God. Even the, if you like, the priest's walk to work as he walks into the tabernacle tells the story of the gospel. It's the same story as us, isn't it? We're saved by Jesus' sacrifice, his blood shed for us, at the bronze altar, symbolically. Uh, We're saved by the washing of the Holy Spirit, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who cleanses us, makes us holy, and fit ultimately, when we die or when Christ returns, to enter fully into God's presence. Uh, The tabernacle, Leviticus, is all about Christ and his rescue and how we can live with him. But, But it's also about one other thing, and this is our last picture for this evening, that the tabernacle is both a picture of the Garden of Eden... It's also a picture of Mount Sinai. I, I, I don't know where you're up to in, in uh, Exodus at the moment. Have we got as far as chapter 24? No, 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 no. okay, good news. Plagues and pestilences. Plagues and pestilences. Okay, we well, haven't. yeah, there we go. The Passover was a spoiler then, there we go. Um, what you will soon see is that when the Israelites finally escape, and I guess I'm not giving anything away there um, to tell you that God's plan does work, when they finally escape, they meet at Mount Sinai, Uh, This mountain in the desert. And they're there to meet God. But but when they meet God, it's not the same experience for everybody. The way it works is they're divided into three groups. The the normal people, just the normal everyday Israelites, they all have to stay at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, 24 elders, God's people have always been cared for by elders, Old Testament and New, 24 elders go halfway up And then just Moses is allowed right to the very top where he comes into God's presence, into the cloud and the fire and the smoke that's up there. So three areas, if you like. The area at the bottom for normal Israelites, the middle area for the elders, and then Moses, just Moses, right at the very top in God's presence. And when God tells Moses, actually on Mount Sinai, how to build the tabernacle, he tells him to build it in a way that well, also is a kind of three-story tent, if you like, like the mountain. God's people can't stay at Sinai to worship him. They have to head off into the wilderness and ultimately into the the holy land. But they can't take the mountain with them. So Sinai comes to represent, sorry, the tabernacle comes to represent Mount Sinai. And that's why it's built in three rooms. Uh, There's the outer courtyard bit where normal Israelites could come to bring their offerings. And we'll look at some of those offerings over the next couple of days. Then there was the the holy place, the the sort of larger of the inside rooms. And only priests were allowed in there. They're a bit like the elders who are allowed halfway towards God's presence. And then there's the most holy place, that inner room, which was the place where God symbolically dwelt in the tabernacle. That's the place that the the fire and cloud and the smoky pillar that led them through the, uh, the desert came to settle. And just as only one man, Moses, was allowed to the top of the mountain, only one man that the great high priest, who we'll look at on Sunday morning, only one man is allowed fully into God's presence. The whole thing is designed as if it's a three-story tent. Now, you can't build a three-story tent, can you? Children, you know that. Tents are all bungalows. But the way they built it showed that it actually was meant to represent the mountain of Sinai. Uh, Even the way it was structured. So, if we read Leviticus really carefully, we see that the, the, the sort of inner bit, the tabernacle as it's labelled there, the, the curtains that hung around it, at the top, they dangled from gold uh, curtain hooks, rings. And the posts that came down to the ground, again on the tabernacle, had silver feet. Step out a level to the outer courtyard, and the curtains that hung around the outside, well, they hung from silver curtain hooks, and the feet were bronze. Gold, silver, bronze, showing that you're getting kind of less holy. It's like the Olympics with the medals, dropping down a level in holiness. Why does it matter that the tabernacle was also a picture of Mount Sinai? Well, it reminds us that it's not just a place to, to meet God, but also a place where you come to worship God. Sinai was the site of worship. So alongside teaching us the gospel and pointing us to Christ and and the big question of how can any human being come into God's presence, Leviticus is going to teach us about worship. What does it mean to worship God? How should we worship God? Now clearly we're centuries, millennia on from the book of Leviticus itself. So we're not going to worship in exactly the same way. But God gave us the book of Leviticus for a reason, it is part of his word, it is just as important to us as the book of 2 Timothy, or Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or John, it is written ultimately by the Holy Spirit. So although we'll always have to be thinking, how does this change now that we are Christians, now that Christ has come, now that he's died for us, Leviticus, I hope, I I pray, over the next 48 hours, will, will enrich our picture of the rescue that Christ brings, and also how God wants to be worshipped. Because ultimately, those two things are meant to go together. Why did God rescue his people out of Egypt? Not just because he didn't want them building pyramids and making bricks, but because he did want them to worship him. Why has God rescued you if you're a Christian? Not just because he doesn't want you to go to hell, not just because he loves you and wants to forgive you, although that's all true, but also, perhaps even supremely, he's rescued you so that you can worship him. And I pray, I hope, that Leviticus will help us do that heart, soul, mind, and strength.